Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this sermon from Hope Church here in Las Vegas, Nevada. I pray that the preaching and teaching of this ministry has built your faith in Christ, inspired you to abide in him, and equipped you as a Jesus follower, no matter where you're tuning in from. If you would say that you have benefited from the ministry here at Hope, we would love to invite you to partner with us by joining in our year-end offering we call Hope for the World. Our goal is to raise $300,000 that will go towards meeting specific needs in Las Vegas, the West, and the world. So if you've enjoyed the blessings of this video or podcast resource, would you prayerfully consider making a gift to this Hope for the World offering? If it's on your heart to do so and the Spirit is leading you, you can go to hopechurchlv.com give for the details about the specific needs we are seeking to meet through this offering. Thanks in advance for your generosity. Now, let's jump into our December sermon series, The Weary World Rejoices. Good morning, family. How y'all doing? Good morning. Good morning. Well, um, it was was what they call an African-American spiritual. It was as if my ancestors had looked at their way of life and realized that there were two sides of life. They would sing a song that seemed to embody the two. They would sing a song that embodied the hardships of life, the brokenness, the pain, suffering. And yet, on the other end, it would still give them a reason to smile, reason to have joy. But the key to this balance was a special character in this song. This character would have the power to help them juggle the both sides of life. The key to the character was, his name was Jesus. And the African-American spiritual was, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Hear me, whole family. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. What has your shoulders slumped over? What has your heart weighed down? What I have to tell you is something that can allow you to still smile in the midst of your hardship, and that is that Jesus Christ came to earth just for you. Hear me. The reason you and I can rejoice in a broken world is all around this one word, joy. In fact, what breaks my heart is you and I will probably define joy the same way as Google defines joy a feeling of happiness due to ideal circumstances. The issue with this is, is that your feelings are the driver of your life. Feelings are a great passenger, but a terrible driver. In fact, I'll give you this. When's the last time your life has been ideal? Don't worry. I'll wait. (laughs) But can I raise you a definition of joy that the Bible says is real joy? that take into account all the hardships and brokenness of life and still gives you and I a reason to stand firm. And this is what the Bible would define joy as, an inner assurance that cannot be altered due to circumstances. Hear me, joy is not about ideal circumstances. Joy is all about an ideal person. And that person has a name, and his name is Christ Jesus. And this is why you and I can have joy even in the midst of hardship is because Jesus Christ is ours, and he cannot be taken away from us. But I love how Crawford the Rich defines joy. He says, joy is that which cannot be affected. 
It takes pleasure in what cannot be shaken. Well, Ricky, what do we possess that cannot be shaken? Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His promises, his blessing, his aid do not change. But this is our issue. We've attached our joy to our circumstances. So that if our circumstances are favorable, then we can have joy. What breaks my heart is we're chasing after an emotional experience that will never fully exist this side of heaven. But you forgot that what you do have in Christ Jesus will not be taken or shaken away from you. And that's the reason why we can have joy. Uh, speaking of joy and problems, H.B. Charles would say that the Christian has what they call an ambidextrous faith. Able to hold two things at the same time. Able to hold problems and joy. Um, see, True joy is not the fact that I don't have problems. True joy is the fact that what I hold in this hand cannot be shaken or taken away from me regardless of my problems. And here is our solution. We have got to understand that joy cannot be affected no matter our circumstances. But the only issue with the scale <laughs> is that one side always dominates the other. What I hold in my hand here is some bricks and the cross. The cross represents joy. The bricks represent problems. You can see my posture is altered. Why? Because these bricks are kind of heavy, much like our problems. See when, you would, see, when you and I define joy as good circumstances, what happens is we shall always be dominated by our problems. What breaks my heart is what we've said to ourselves is that our joy can rise no higher than our problems. Hear me. If you keep defining joy as perfect situations, then you will always live a defeated life. But when you and I understand that what we have in Christ Jesus cannot be taken, altered, changed, and given to us, it is always ours. What happens is this. We're able now to still hold our problems, but to understand that what we have in Christ Jesus cannot be taken away from us, and so we can always have joy. I got some good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ came into the world to dominate the scales of life. No matter what you are going through, no matter what your problem is, don't forget that what you hold in this hand dictates how you feel about this hand. And what you have in this hand should not be taken away from you. And this is why I got a little pep in my step this morning. <laughs> Hear me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your problems will change. Your Savior will not. Hear me. Life is hard, but Jesus is faithful. So do me a favor. Smile. I... Um, Simply wanted to talk about this morning that Jesus, that must have been funny, that Jesus <laughs> is our joy. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Scott preached that Christ is our hope. I love this. Pastor Trenton preached last week that Christ is our peace. But today I'm going to add to that list that Christ is our joy. Now, the issue with joy is it's something you have to choose. You didn't get that out. 
Joy is something you have to choose. And so before we can appreciate joy, you can only appreciate joy against the backdrop of pain. Let me tell you where we are in our story. At this time in Israel's life, God's people, they're oppressed. They're being taxed on everything. Amen to that. Jesus Christ. They're taxed on everything. Man, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Um, to make matters worse, it had been 700 years since Isaiah prophesied that a Savior was coming. 400 years since they had heard a peep from God. They were wondering if God had forgotten about them. And what's funny is, I'm looking out at faces who ask the same question, except they just don't verbalize it. You're wondering if God forgot about you. But let me tell you something. Just because God may seem MIA, that does not mean he's not in control. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see Christ, you see God's authority on full display. He, um, in his sovereign power, he ordains the most powerful man in the world, Julius Caesar, to create a census now to have on the whole world just to get two people, Joseph and Mary, Christ's parents, all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem just to continue to approve his prophecy of Micah 5-2 that the Savior must be born in Bethlehem. God did all of this just to give Hope Church a reason to have joy. So look at me now. I'm going to pick up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to point out some historical facts from our text. Then I'm going to give us four real reasons why we can have joy this morning. Here he is, Luke 2, verse 8, says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherding was an age-old profession in the Middle East. A shepherd's job was to tend to a sheep. And these shepherds were out in the field somewhere in the city of Bethlehem. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I love this. In the darkness of night, a heavenly being arrives on the scene. And as they are mesmerized at this angelic silhouette, what emanates from his being is the translucent glory of God. They're captivated by this so much that they're paralyzed in fear. Verse 10 and 11, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love this. These angels walk right beside these shepherds as if to put their hand on their shoulder and say, Listen, my coming tonight is not for you to be in terror. It's not for you to be scared, but it's to evangelize, to preach to you that good news is coming. Salvation now is coming to the world. And this salvation, here it is, is for all people. And this is why we're asking you to invite people next week to our Christmas services. Why? For this Jesus is for all people. See, to Luke, joy was not just an emotional feeling of good circumstances. But to Luke, joy was the fact that God brought salvation into the world. Hear me. Christ being born is the picture of the incarnation. Emmanuel, God being with us. Let me, let me tell you something. God's truth was never meant to be a set of good ideas. 
God's truth was to always be incarnate with flesh and skin on, walking among his people. That's the God you serve. I'll keep going. And verse 12 says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel says, just in case you don't believe me, you'll find the Savior wrapped in a nasty feeding trough where animals eat out of. A manger. And he closes the time by saying, and suddenly there was an angel, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. As he is preaching this gospel, a heavenly host, a singing army comes behind him because how do you respond to God saving the world? Praise. Now that we have these guardrails, let me give you four real reasons why to have joy. The first reason is, that salvation is available to all. The fact that salvation came with these shepherds is a big deal. Shepherding in, the, uh, shepherding in the New Testament is definitely romanticized, but historically, shepherds were not real respected. They were at the lower end of the social ladder. They were nomads. Uh, they were uh, outcasts. Uh, in fact, they were so, in fact, it was so bad, they couldn't even testify in court. And to make matters worse, uh, if someone had some sheep in the field, and there was, no, there was no danger around, they would send a child to watch their sheep as if to say, even a child can do your job. And yet, the angel comes to them. He didn't come to Julius Caesar or chief priest. He came to the unworthy, lowly, good-for-nothing, ill-respected shepherds. Do you not see the perfect picture of God's grace that God gives his grace to people who don't deserve it. If you and I feel as, as if we are, have no worth and no value, let me tell you something. God gave his salvation just to you. What's so amazing about God's grace? It is he gives it to folks who don't deserve it. That's the grace of God. That salvation is for all people. In fact, Michael Carr would say, this is the perfect definition of God's grace. He would say this. When the person whom I have the right to expect nothing from gives me everything. This is what God has done in Christ Jesus. You and I did not, you and I deserve to have the, the God of the universe, and yet he gave it. David says, Psalms 8, what is man that you are mindful of me? This is the scandal of the gospel. A holy God gave a holy message to jacked up, messed up, lying, conniving, self-righteous people like you and I. And this is why you can have joy because these are the folks Christ came to save. Broken, messed up people. Hear me. Whoever wants salvation, it's yours. And that's why you can have joy. I'll keep going. The next point here is that the promised Messiah has come. I love this. Christ has finally been born. Could you imagine what this must have meant to these shepherds? They have been waiting for centuries for this Savior. And he's finally here. And just not the fact that he's here, but Luke says he gives him a certain title. Verse 11 says a Savior who is Christ the Lord. These titles might not mean much to you. But your joy and your salvation is all wrapped up in these names. So if these names are so important, let's break down what these names mean to them 
and mean to us? The first name is Savior. Anybody thankful that God forgives sins? The second name, Christ. Anybody thankful that God actually fulfilled his promises? And the last name, don't raise your hand, Lord. Ricky, I'm fine with Christ saving my soul. Just don't tell me what to do. He has all authority. Christ says, either have all of me or none of me. But you can't pickpocket my Savior. He is Savior, Christ, and Lord. Ricky, why should I have joy at this point? Because Jesus Christ being born means that God kept his promise. You keep asking yourself, God, do you keep your promises? And this is why we rejoice this morning. Because when God gave you Jesus, he kept his promise, meaning if he kept one promise, he has to keep all his promises. A great indicator of what God will do is what he's already done. In fact, let me say it this way, maybe to help you out. If God kept his promises in sending Jesus, then God will keep his promises through Jesus. 2 Corinthians says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. You know, I've seen this in real time, this idea of joy and sorrow. I watched my grandmother when life would hit her. Her name was Ella Crawford. When she found out one of her daughters was on drugs, when bills would pile up, when the health would break down, I would watch her stand in her kitchen sink and hum. In fact, do me a favor. All of us carry something in this room. So I want to invite you to my grandmother's kitchen sink. Close your eyes with me and let her theology sing to you. How can you sing when you're standing in chaos? Joy. My grandmother knew that what she had in Christ Jesus could not be taken away from her regardless of what she held in this hand. This is joy. Not the absence of conflict, but the assurance that Jesus Christ is mine and what I have in him cannot be taken away from me. I got a reason for you to smile. 
Because this, Rocky, does not dominate your life anymore. This does. Your problems have an expiration date, but your joy is everlasting. <laughs> Praise God for shoulder work. All right. The next point is, Jesus is the ultimate sign of salvation. I love this. For these shepherds, they must have been like, you, 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 you're crazy. So the Savior of the world, the one who spoke creation out of his mouth, who holds the world now by his hands, that Savior, I'm going to find him in a nasty, stinking feeding trough. If that was me, if I was Christ, that couldn't be me. Oh, no. I got to be in the finest of linen nature could, nature could produce. I've got to lay down on baby angel hair. I'm not coming in just no manger. Oh, no. Oh, no. But this is what separates our Jesus. He's humble. You know what bothers me? This time of year, we as Christians tend to make Christ somebody he's not. Christ was not some suburban, middle-to-upper-class man. He was poor. He was cradled in somebody else's crib, sailed in somebody else's boat, ate at somebody else's house, rode somebody else's animal, and was even buried in somebody else's tomb. And yet to him, belongs all the unsearchable riches of glory. There is nobody like your Savior. And the angel says, proof that salvation has come to you is you will find this Savior in a manger. You know what bothers me? Is that uh, I've heard Christians, including myself, say, I wish God would show me a sign he loves me. I wish God would show me a sign that he's not forgotten about me. Let me tell you something. If you've ever wondered if God loved you, do me a favor. Grab you a chair, find you a cross, and stare at it. If you've ever wondered if God has forgotten about you, do me a favor. Grab you a chair, find you a cross, and stare at it. And what you will see on that cross is that cross proves he loves you. That cross proves he sees you. That cross proves that he keeps his promises. But before you get to the favors of the cross, you have to get to the cradle. If you've ever wondered if God keeps his promise, look in the manger. Find your Savior lying there, holy, meek, and mild. This is your sign that you can have joy because Christ Jesus is born. Stop asking for God to show you signs when he's given you the ultimate sign. In fact, today we're going to have communion. This is what we do in communion. We take time to gaze at the cross. Jesus Christ is your ultimate sign. That no matter what you are going through, you can smile because your Savior has been born, which means your joy is solidified. Amen? All right. And now to our last point, which is, I love this. 
we can, we can rejoice completely in the salvation and work of Jesus. I hope by now you've got some confidence in your heart, some pep in your step. Like that? Like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Because your joy is not asking God to change your circumstances. Your joy is asking God to help you see him in the midst of your circumstances. And that joy cannot be taken. I love this. And the angels now in verses 13 and 14, it's as if they're saying, Hope Church, we're not waiting any longer for you to understand what just happened. We're going to praise God even if you won't. And it says, we're watching these angels in their doxology. They're praising God and glorifying him. I love it. Um, it says that they're glorifying God in the highest. Well, how do you glorify God in the highest? There is no greater glory you can give God than recognizing that he sent his son to save you. There is no higher praise you can give God than to tell him, thank you for your son. I love it. And it says, and peace on earth. I, I love this. Because it's important to understand this. It says, and sorry, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, don't be mistaken. The reason Christ came was to bring back peace between you and God. We had a sin issue. And Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross that you and I may have peace with God. In fact, Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why you and I give God glory. But hear me. Be careful. Don't let what happened tonight grow stale on you. What God did that night goes beyond words. See, God has always given mankind his grace, but that night he outdid himself. He gave his only son to you. So, Ricky, how do I respond to God bringing my soul back to himself? Praise. Joy. In fact, I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. If we have found any comfort in this Savior, any hope, any joy, any peace, any provision, any care, he must have glory for it. What I'm saying is, all of your joy is wrapped up around the cross. Um, in Lauderdale Lakes, Florida, one Sunday morning, there was a bad storm. Storm put a halt on all the city's activity. It affected the whole city, even First Baptist Church, Pine Grove. But for them, they continued to worship because they had no idea the impact of the storm. So they continued to sing and to worship God. The storm had hit every area in the city, even the First Baptist Church, but they didn't feel a thing. After service, one of the deacons said, well, Pastor, as we were worshiping, the church was hit by lightning. The pastor goes, where? How much the damage? He said, Pastor, calm down. <laughs> you just for you forgot that when we built this church, we put a 20-foot cross on top of the roof. Inside the cross, there was a lightning rod. And so when the lightning hit, the, when a lightning struck the church, that lightning rod pulled the electricity to itself and routed it now to the ground. He says, even though we were hit, we felt nothing. And then he said, 
the cross did its job. The reason why you and I can have joy in the midst of hardship is because the cross of Christ Jesus did its job. It solidified that Christ is mine. His salvation is mine. His mercy is mine. His grace is mine. His help is mine. And those things cannot be taken away from me. This is why you have a reason to smile. Because the cradle and the cross both did their job. Jesus is yours and his blessings cannot be taken away from you regardless of what you go through. Listen to me. Let me go ahead and tell you something hard right quick. This is the Christian life. Trouble in one hand, joy in the other. Can we grow in our maturity and stop asking God to always take away our circumstances? As long as you live on this side of heaven, this is your life. Stop being mad that God is rocking the boat and be thankful that God's in the boat with you. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. I know you got problems. Rocky, I know it. I know it's been tough. Don't forget that your problems will not always be, but your Savior never changes. How can I have joy in the midst of hardship? It's because I've chosen to look at this hand, which helps me handle this hand. And my old little black Baptist church, they would say, after all the things I've been through, after all the things I've been through, I still have joy. So hear me, hear me, hear me. If, 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 if you don't know Christ Jesus, I have a reason for you to have joy. Because salvation is yours. Come to him, the one who lightens the load of his children. And if you are a Jesus follower, let me remind you of what you have conveniently forgotten and deliberately ignored. All of Jesus is yours. Rejoice. Because your problems have an expiration date. But you are living for something else. Stop basing your joy off of a good day. Base your joy off of a good God. So as our pastors come, I want to pray. And after I pray, I want you to respond. Say, Jesus, help me see you and not just my problems. If you don't know Christ Jesus, we would love to introduce you to the one 
who gives joy to those who are broken. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray, God, that you are glorified in real joy, that your people are not just walking around chasing after good experiences, but chasing after you. So Jesus, it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You say in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but, over, but, but have joy for I have overcome the world. God, would you help us understand that the joy we have, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, let's rise to our feet. I want you to respond however God is leading you.